Bibles with me and turn to, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and when you find that, leave a marker there and then find Ephesians chapter 6 and this is where we're going to take our readings tonight. Ephesians, uh, our 2 Timothy chapter 2 will be the first, um, re- first re- scripture I'll read so if you'll find that and turn to that and you can remain seated as we read. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Here we see Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, Thou therefore, uh, my son, and of course the therefore means because of everything he said to Timothy in chapter 1, he's now going to expound upon that here in chapter 2. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And this is really, um, this is really what we do. We in proselytizing people. So um, preachers basically they they teach men. They teach other men who can go and teach other men who can go and teach. Other men. This is the propagation of the gospel. Verse 3 there, he states, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And I think, um, I think maybe one of the reasons that I have a differing opinion than a lot of, of the younger generations today uh, is because I was a soldier. And uh, you learn certain things as a soldier. You learn discipline. You learn commitment. You learn courage. All those things we spoke about this morning in, in, in heeding God and in, in being an obedient person, a lot of it stems from those very characteristics. And, and of course, soldiers, on a, for the most part, are very... Obedient, very disciplined, dedicated, committed, fearless, courageous people. So we see Timothy, or Paul here, encouraging Timothy in these things to be a good soldier, to endure hardness, and, and to, to face um, danger and, and, to, and to face fears uh, with courage. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 together. <coughs> Hold on while I grab some water here. I have a very dry throat tonight. I don't know why. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 together. We'll begin at verse number, verse number 10. We read here, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, as I've told young people for many, many years, you can't depend upon yourself. You can't depend upon your own strength. This is, this is one of the wiles of the devil. The devil wants you to depend upon your strength. He, tonight he wants you to, because you've learned some things and because you've maybe mastered a few things in the word of God and because you've maybe become more wise and more educated than a lot of other Christians. The devil wants you to depend upon that today. He wants you to lean on that. Not, not the Lord, but, but Paul says here, uh, be, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then in verse 11, he, he warns us. He says, put on 
the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He didn't say put on just the comfortable parts of the armor. He didn't say put on some of the armor. He said put on the whole armor of God. Anybody here ever put on a suit of armor? Any of you, maybe? Somebody? No? I was hoping somebody did because I never have either. And I was hoping you could maybe you could maybe help me understand what this is. But I do know this. <clears throat> I, I've, I've read a lot of history, and I do know that in the old English knight system, uh, armor was very heavy and was very cumbersome. And these men had to learn how to do, ba- do battle in armor and ride horses in armor and, and all these things. And we're, we're warned here by Paul that we need to put on the entire armor, the whole armor of God. And the purpose in that is so that we can stand against the attacks, the wiles of the devil. In, in, in a battle such as that, attack comes from all sides. And, and the, the knight who wore the armor, the, the armor of protection, was able to parry blows from the rear, from the side, from head on, and it protected him, and it, it, it kept him from, from becoming hurt by his enemies. And then he warns us here in verse number 12. He warns us who our enemies are. He says in verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, in my current condition, at my current age, I'm not as good a wrestler as I used to be, or as my grandpa called it, a wrestler. I can't wrestle as good as I could at one time. I think I, could, I, I think I could give you a run for your money if I had to. If I was fighting against flesh and blood. But we don't fight against flesh and blood in this spiritual warfare. He says, but against principalities. Against powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, Paul warns, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, having done all that you can do in your power, to stand. Let's pray before we go into our message. Father, thank you for the wisdom we find in your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you give us to guide us and to instruct us. Help us, Lord, not to push the Holy Spirit aside in our busy lives and never to speak to him, never, never to, to acknowledge him. But, Father, you've given us the comforter. You've given us your Holy Spirit as our guide and as our teacher. So we ask that you would instruct us and encourage us to, to walk filled with his power in our lives. Thank you for this time we have. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, my message is entitled, Soldiers of Christ. And as we sit here, we are fully aware of the spiritual battle that is raging all around us right now. If we were in a, if we were in a battle zone, you'd, you'd, you'd see gunfire, you'd hear bombs, and, and there'd, be, there'd be fire everywhere, and, and destruction, and, and horror, and all these things. But we're not in a physical battle tonight, but we are in a spiritual battle. And it rages all around us right now. And and in this warfare, there are casualties also. P. 
Peter warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He writes, be sober. And of course, being sober is a good thing to do, but he's not talking about not being drunk. He's talking about being serious. Are you serious tonight about your Christian life? Or is it just something that you started doing and now it, you just keep doing it? We need to be serious about our walk with God. We need to be serious about our prayer life. We need to be serious about our, our spiritual life. He says, be spirit, be, so, be sober, be vigilant, he says. That means to be watchful, to be on guard, to be, to be ready at any moment for, for the attack to come. Be vigilant. He says, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, if we are going to go forward from this church as an army for Christ and cover our community with the gospel, we are going to have to do it God's way. Tonight, I I would like to examine a great battle in the scriptures in which the children of God were victorious. And in doing so, we may learn these important truths and re- that we must remember if we hope to endure in the battles that we face. So I'd like for you to take your Bibles with me now and let's go to the book of Exodus. Let's go to the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible, real easy to find. And we're going to turn to chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we're going to read the first 12 verses. Of Exodus chapter 17. We read here, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide or argue with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with uh, thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee, there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. 
So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, we see here this this story. God has proven to the people of his ability to provide for them. Yet, the people continue to doubt God. They continue to question his, his faithfulness. They, they continue to question his integrity. And the Lord becomes angry with this. And the people of God, in a time of battle, when they face, they're facing Amalek, once again, God comes and gives them the solution to their problem. And we, we can learn some things from, from this. As soldiers of Christ, you and I tonight, <clears throat> as soldiers in the army of Christ, with, with responsibilities and duties as we discussed this morning, there are things we need to remember during those times of battle, during those times when our faith may be, may be challenged, during those times when we may even question our own selves, when we may even question the, the Lord. There are some things that we must remember as we live our lives. And I'd like to, I'd like to discuss those with you briefly tonight. First of all, number one, as soldiers of Christ, we need to remember the providence of God. In Exodus chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, which we just read, it said, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel in thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Here we see the providence of God. With no water to be found anywhere, God produced water from a rock. Yet how often in our lives do we doubt God? I, de- I think I deal with this more and more as, as I get older and older and as our younger generations of Christians, a generation of Christians who have not seen the mighty hand of God move, how often they lack faith. You know, I think about these children on the, on the other side of the building right now being taught the word of God. As, as their parents, as you sit here, it is your responsibility to, de- to show to these young people the great power of God, the mighty hand of God. The Bible instructs us as parents that we are to teach our children diligently of the things of God. And it is our responsibility as, as their parents, as their grandparents, to show them the God of, of, of glory, to, to, to show them the God of great power and might. In Matthew, turn with me to Matthew. Let's go, let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> now, 
We have our more mature, stronger Christians here tonight, so um, you know you should be able to get around your Bible pretty quickly. And as I say that, I'm having trouble finding Matthew chapter 6. And let's look beginning at verse number 31 in Matthew chapter 6. And these are familiar verses to, to all of us. It's just that sometimes we have to hit the reset button. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 31. Take therefore no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. God knows what you need. You know, sometimes we pray as if God has no idea what's going on. You ever notice that? Sometimes we come to God in prayer and we've got to spend 25 minutes explaining the situation to him. <laughs> he knows all about it. Let's just get down to business. Tell him what you need. Ask for, for the things you want. God already knows we have the need of clothes and food and, and shelter. He knows that. Verse 33, Jesus said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Listen, we need to be busy. You and I, I, we don't need to worry about what we're going to eat. God has already promised to feed us. We don't need to worry about where we're going to sleep tonight. Because God has already promised to care for us and provide these things. Now, I'm not saying we need to be lazy bums who who go sit on the street corner and, and play the harmonica all day long. We need to work. Matter of fact, the Bible says if a man does not work, he should not eat. And, and you need to take care of your family, you men in this room, because the Bible says he that careth, provideth not for his own is worse than an infidel. But we don't need to fret and worry to the point that we doubt God. Because God is faithful and just, and he has already promised us these things. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He said, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. God is a God of today. He, he provides for us today. He gives us the food and the clothing and the shelter we need today. God said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of the things of itself. As a matter of fact, Solomon said, boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We don't even know if we have a tomorrow. So I'm talking here about the providence of God. The fact that God is going to take care of you. I'm living proof of this. You focus your heart, you focus your heart and your mind and your life on serving God and doing, doing those things that further the, the, the kingdom of God and that, and that edify and build up the, the body of Christ, and God will provide all things. He's promised it, and he's not a liar, and he will provide. I'm amazed at how quickly we forget from whom and by what means we are blessed. From day to day. While we profess with our mouths that God is our provider, we often act as though God does not exist and everything rests upon our own abilities to provide for ourselves. 
Now, how is God's providence exercised in our lives from day to day? Well, first of all, letter A, by his provision for his saints. David said in Psalm 37 and verse 25, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Now who in this room tonight can give testimony that God is unfaithful? That God did not honor his word to you he did not honor his promises to you he did not provide for you he did not care for you who can can anyone stand and 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 testify to that no i dare not i dare say that none of us could give such a testimony because god is always faithful to the uttermost as a matter of fact god is more faithful to us than we deserve and if we do suffer any lack It's not because God wasn't faithful to provide. It's because we were foolish with what God has provided for us. We see God's providence by his provision. But then also, we see God by his preservation of his saints. David wrote in Psalm 37... Verses 23 and 24, he he states, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. In, In Psalm 37, in verse 28, we read, For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. All of us here tonight could stand here and share stories of the unexplainable and unbelievable events that take place in our life. Events that literally saved us. Been so many things that that I could talk to you about tonight. So many many things in my life I, I could testify to you of God's preservation. His, 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 his taking care of us, not just in our, in our fleshly needs, but in our, in our, very, our very lives itself. God's providence is seen by his provision, by his preservation, and then thirdly, by his protection over his saints. Psalm 91 and verse 11 states, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways now I know that I've greatly tested some of those angels over the years especially with some of the automobiles that that I've driven Uh, sometimes I don't know how the wheels stayed on I had cars that you could hear it coming from six blocks away and you could hear it for another six blocks after it passed and you could we could all share these things together God has has protected us despite our our own foolishness. Now, each one of us here tonight would do all within our power to protect our family, to protect our children. There's nothing I wouldn't do for my children. There's nothing, I I think about my grandson all the time, and and, and I think about something bad happening to him, and, and there's nothing I wouldn't do to make him safe and to protect him 
I don't want to embarrass my son, but I think about, I think about all the surgeries he's been through in his life. 13 heart surgeries. And I've, I've sit, sat in chairs as, he, as they were prepping him for surgeries, and I'd look at him and I'd think, Lord, I'd give anything if I could be the one going into this surgery and not my son. We love our children, don't we? And we want to take care of them. We want to protect them. How much more our Heavenly Father loves us and will protect his children. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5, we read, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. God told Joshua, nobody's going to hurt you. I'm going to take care of you the same way. I'm going to protect you the same way I protected Moses. And by the way, God says that same thing to you and I. He protects us. We're not better than God. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, we read, Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? So tonight, as, as we go forward to do the work of God in this place, let us remember the providence of God. Then, as soldiers of Christ, secondly, let us remember the power of prayer. Again, in our story in Exodus, chapter 17, we read, So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass... When Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now, in this, we have two possible explanations. First, we could, st- we could state that the rod of Moses served as a banner, uh, a symbol which gave the soldiers of Israel courage when lifted. However, if this were the case, this could have been accomplished by setting the rod up in a fixed position. The second explanation is that this was symbolic of prayer. This is the interpretation given by Jewish scholars. The Targums of Jonathan in Jerusalem paraphrase the words, When Moses lift up his hands in prayer, the house of Israel prevailed. But when he restrained his hands from prayer, the house of Amalek prevailed. Now, if you remember, the rod that Moses was given represented what? Who can tell me what it represented? God's power. He used his rod, if you remember, God gave him his rod and he used it in his contests with the magicians of Pharaoh. As they used their wands of power, he rose the rod of God's power. So the rod pictures the power of God. And lifting that rod pictures the prayer by Moses to God for his power. So when Moses prevailed in prayer, the power of God was upon the soldiers of Israel. However, when Moses let down in prayer, the house of Amalek prevailed upon the house of Israel. Amalek is representative of the flesh. And this is very true. When, when we prevail in prayer, we have victory over the flesh. 
However, when we fail in prayer, what happens? The flesh overtakes us, doesn't it? James chapter 5 and verse 16, the second half of the verse, we read, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now I fear tonight that one of our greatest failures in America is our failure to effectually pray. Oh, we may take weak stabs at prayer, but we as Christians have become so adulterated in our doctrines, our morals, and in our principles that we often forget what power lies in prayer. Great power comes through the prayers of God and his people. The prayers of God's people have have changed the course of history over the years. There's more power in prayer to God than in all the nuclear weapons on the face of the earth. So let me ask you a question. How high in your list of priorities is prayer? I fear that in most people's lives, prayer is only the last resort. They only run to God in prayer when they have no other options, when prayer should be the first thing in our lives. In Matthew 21 and verses 20 and 22, we read, And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you could pray that God would move a mountain out of your way and he'd do it? How many of you would say, I believe that? And go out there and do it. Why doesn't it happen when we do it? Because we really don't believe it. We really don't believe it. Because if we did, it would happen. If it wouldn't, what would that make Jesus? He'd make him a liar. Is Jesus a liar? Then go out there and move that mountain. You and I don't possess that kind of belief. We don't have that kind of faith. But it's there. The power of God is immeasurable. And he's made that power available to you and I. The problem is, we just simply don't believe it. We want to believe it. We wish we could believe it. But we don't. Why? Because we're humans. And we always will face doubt. If we are going to affect our community with the gospel of Christ, if we are going to, as the church in Jerusalem did, turn our town upside down for Jesus, we are going to have to learn and remember the power of prayer, and we are going to have to learn to harness this great power in our ministry here. So tonight, let us remember the providence of God in our life as as we live as God's soldiers as soldiers of Christ let us remember the power of prayer but then number three 
Let us remember the purpose of unity. In Exodus chapter 17 again, verses 12 and 13, we read, But Moses' hands were heavy. So here he is, he's up on the hill, and he's holding up his hands. And as long as he's got his hands in the air, which is representative of the power of the prayer for the power of God, Israel is winning the battle. But have you ever stood there and just tried to hold your arms up? Try it sometime. You won't have to waste much time, I can promise you. Just three or four minutes and you'll be... Moses couldn't do it by himself. He needed help. So when Moses' hands became too heavy, Aaron and Hur came to his aid. If you'll notice in the scripture that's sitting up there on the, on the screen, they did two things for him. We read, but Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And then, not only did they bring a stone and put him under him to sit, but secondly, they helped him keep his hands raised. And we read on, uh, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. You say, well, why, why didn't they just hold up his hands? Why did they have to move a stone? Well, because if Moses is doing this and he's having trouble, and they come over here and do this, guess what? Pretty soon all three of them are going to be having trouble. So what did they do? Well, they had godly wisdom. They moved the stone. They said, Moses, sit down. And then they could just rest his arms right here. I can do this for hours. Hmm? I could probably do it for days. They used wisdom. And they used uh, they got together and they united and, and they, they helped one another. Now, why is unity in the church so important? Why is it so important that we love one another and be in one accord as a church? Well, in John chapter 13, we read, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now, I could preach for weeks on that one statement right there. Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Unity in the church, uh, the love of the brethren for, for his fellow Christian is important because it demonstrates the love of Christ. It proves that we are his children because God is love and, and his children are, love one another. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 17, we read, but he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. Unity in the church is important because if, if we are at odds with one another, then we will not succeed. We will fail. And our church will fail. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12, we read, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is Solomon, uh, in his wisdom, giving us the principle that you may, be able to, you may be able to overcome one, two is going to make it a little more difficult, but no, nobody's going to get past three. Go home and, and take, a, take some, just some regular sewing thread. You can pop that with no problem, but wind that thing up with two or three or four strands and then try to pop it. It's going to be a lot harder. And you get enough strands woven in there, and it won't break, period. Take a look at the cables holding up 
the Golden Gate Bridge. Imagine if, imagine if they only had one cable there. That bridge wouldn't stand, would it? It would fall. Now, as God's children in the church, imagine if all of us join together and unite and be in one accord and move in one direction together. Why, nothing could, nothing could withstand the church in that case. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It will fall. Therefore, if we are going to function as one body in this place, we are going to have to be in one accord. We are going to have to abide in unity. Now, with just a few moments that I have left tonight, uh, allow me to look at two aspects of our brotherhood and fellowship together. First, letter A, we are to provide rest for one another. In Galatians 6.1, we read, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Listen, let me tell you something. If someone in our church becomes overcome with grief or, or overcome with, with worry, if someone in our church becomes uh, despondent and is in despair, you better consider yourself. One day you may be in that same condition, and you will want someone to help you. Amen? So don't look down a narrow nose and say, yeah, I knew he had it coming. Yeah, well, you get what you deserve. We're to be, we're to provide rest for one another. We're to help each other. We're to, we're to, when we see one of our brothers or sisters struggling, we go to them and, 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 and we, we help them. And we help carry their burden and, and take, the, take the, the burden off of them. The first thing scripture mentions is that Aaron and her brought a stone for Moses to sit on. They provided rest for Moses because of, the, bur- the, because of the, the stress of the burden he was under. They provided rest for Moses. They realized that this was going to be a long battle, and they provided Moses with a way to sit and rest in, in, in his labor. And this is a responsibility that all of us share tonight. We're not to heap burdens upon our brethren. We're not, rather, we are to lighten their loads. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 4, referring to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus stated, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They won't even touch the burdens they place upon the people. Often it has been that I have seen older Christians heap burdens upon new, younger Christians, burdens that the new Christians cannot bear expectations, being judgmental, criticizing them behind their back, being hateful. These are burdens that new baby Christians can't handle. Often I, I have to remind people, when you deal with children all the time, kindergarten kids, and, 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 and really, you know, kids kind of get, get normal between age 4 to age 11. But then when they get to age 12, they become abnormal again. All the way to about 21. It's easy to get frustrated with them. But I have often have to remind people they're only children. They're only children. 
And, and we must learn to, to, to help our brothers and sisters and, and be, be a rest unto them. Have compassion. As mature believers, let us look for ways to ease the burdens upon our younger brothers and even provide them with the rest that we can. But not only are we to provide rest for one another, but secondly, we are to provide strength for one another. Galatians 6.2, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are to provide strength for one another. And I'm talking about, not talking about physical strength, I'm talking about spiritual strength. We read, we read in, our, in, in the scriptures earlier, Aaron and Moses, after providing rest for Moses, realizing that it was his responsibility to lift his arms, each grabbed an arm and helped him hold them high. They, went, they stood alongside Moses, and they, Moses held the rod, but they held his arm. They, they, they supported him in his, in his labor. They, they, they helped him in his work. So often I sit down and talk with the pastor, and he shares with me the burdens he feels for, for our church and the, the things that need to be done, and We need to be a help. We need to help strengthen him. Now God has given him the responsibility. He's called him to the, to the office. And, and he has to do it. But God didn't, didn't say that he couldn't have help doing it. And you and I need to help him bear these burdens. Some may say, but how can we do this? We, we have our own burdens to bear. We have our own problems to deal with. Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can we do this? Well, I'm not eloquent enough to appropriate or to to thoroughly explain this all i know is this when i lay my burdens on jesus he gives me the strength to carry my own burdens as well as the burdens of my brethren when i lay my burdens upon jesus and i take his burdens upon me his burdens are the work of the kingdom the the preaching of the gospel when I take upon myself the burdens of, of the work of the church, which is what God has given to us, and I lay upon him my burdens, he carries my heavy burdens, and he tells me, for my burden is light. You see, God has equipped you and I to handle the work that he has given us to do. And he will take our burdens off of us and lay his burdens Upon us. And this is the result of the right attitude about myself. Galatians 6 3. For if a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, what are we? Just who do we think we are? We're sinners saved by grace. That's what we are. 
We are men and women and, and, and teenagers and children who rightfully deserve to burn in hell for all eternity. That's what we are. And if you think yourself anything more than that, shame on you. But by the grace of God, Paul said, I am what I am. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Our church will never go forward until we learn these lessons. Our church will never go forward until we learn that we are soldiers of Christ. And as soldiers of Christ, we must live and dwell in peace and unity together. We must labor together and labor for each other. We must provide rest and strength for one another. Now, tonight, our church, Berean, is in the position to do great things for God in Rohnert Park. And for the most part, our church, in our church, we are at peace within. We are in one accord. So what should we do? If we are to go forward and permeate Rohnert Park with the gospel, then we as soldiers of Christ must remember some things. Remember the providence of God. Fear not the world or its wrath. Look not unto yourself. Look not unto, unto all the things that the world seek. Remember the providence of God. And, and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember the power of prayer. Prayer moves mountains. For those who truly believe and then remember the purpose of unity the purpose of unity is so that the church and its membership will be strong and will accomplish all that God has called us to do folks I wish I were, I were more eloquent I wish I could, I could I could give you more meat all I can do is preach the truth from the word of God. It's all I can do. It's up to you and I to take the things that God has shown us and to use them for his glory. So let us endeavor tonight, let us endeavor to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, enduring hardness, being faithful, keeping our minds and our hearts focused on the work that God has called us to do. And one day, one day soon, he will appear to us in the clouds and we will be gathered together and we will live forever in his presence. And what a glorious day that will be. But until then, let us work for Christ's glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and offer ourselves to you, our hearts, our minds, our, our talents, our treasure. And Lord, as, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we ask that you would help us to remember all these things and 
and that you would strengthen us. Father, we ask your blessings upon all that we do in this place. I ask ask that you would bless each home. Bless the families, the children. Just take care of us as you've promised you would. And we'll give the glory and honor unto you, Father, in all things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.